this could get really like Big Brother kind of conversation. I didn't know if it would or not. Oh, interesting. Count on it. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, those you know, are nice little segues. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, again, you, gear. We'll talk about facilities. If we don't talk much about facilities and we just talk about data, then it's just data. I mean, it's it's a podcast. It's ours. We can do whatever. Well, I want to talk about heck we want. I want to talk about the data specifically with regards to, you know, there's all a happy talk about remote or automated commissioning. Um, I was reading, uh, you know, about Microsoft Azure and how now they can take corrective action so that cold calls and hot calls will be fixed without any human intervention. And I'm thinking this is all a bunch of pie in the sky horse. It, It just doesn't work that way. But I think, you know, if uh, they can sell a, sell the proposition that way, great. But it doesn't alleviate the need for eyes and ears and hands and boots and tools. Um, anyway. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Better Building Systems Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry. And here with me today is Nick Taliska and Mark Sankey. And we are the Building Hot Rodders. So if you guys have listened to our podcast before, we uh, usually also have Jim DePasquale. He was not able to make today's conversation, so we're we're going to take a dive into data ourselves. Um, with that being said, there's a lot to talk about in this episode, and it's really a pretty, a very broad conversation that we'll try to keep narrowed down, maybe towards the facilities end of it. But do you guys have any initial thoughts, kind of regarding mm, data in general? <laughs> Honestly, I like data that's relevant specific to the topic. I like data that is, you know, relevant to building automation, to economics, to population strata and, and all that kind of data. But when data reaches the point of, you know, uh, monitoring my location via, you know, GPS, monitoring my phone calls and there are you know, I'm a, I'm a right to privacy person to start with, but the amount of data that the government con- collects on each of us regarding our, you know, relative to phone calls, texts, uh, web searches, all that is astounding. For what purpose? I can't even imagine, especially for none. Uh, you know, I'm not a criminal, never have been, and I just don't like the idea that Big Brother monitors everything with multiple uh, systems and servers and those kinds of things. But that said, going back to the building automation side, we've. we've... Yeah, we went right into that, Mark. That's great. Did you not expect that? I was not (laughs) expecting it, but I'm liking it. Back to the building automation side, we've done work on military bases, on governmental entities large, you know, fortune 50 commercial enterprises that have sequestered data, meaning it's not cloud backed or cloud stored. And in some cases, the data is used daily, hourly. And in some cases, there's dust an inch deep on it, which means that the data historians are used and collects data, but there's no value to that data because it has never been parsed, analyzed, applied, or used in any way that is uh, you know, beneficial for either building oper- operations or the economics of operating the buildings. So again, it goes back to what you do with the tools that you have 
and how they're applied, which I, I see that as the weak link. And then, you know, even going beyond that, there's all the talk about use of AI to um, take preemptive corrective actions. If a room is hot or cold and you'll never have to send a maintenance per person there and you won't have to generate work orders because AI will take care of it. Well, unless the AI is wearing boots, carrying a VOM meter and a screwdriver, I think it's highly unlikely that AI will take care of every problem. Wow. Right out of the gate, Mark. Setting the stage. <laughs> I, yeah. I think the question to you was, what do you think about data? And I'm coming away with, you're not a big fan of the data. I love the data. Okay. okay I love that's, the data. It's I the application it. of the data that he doesn't love. You're, you're right. I mean, the, the amount of data being captured now is, is unprecedented, but it's always kind of been going in that direction. But data is this concept that can tell us about you know, what happened in the past, the present, and even the future, right? And so it's always been there, but now we can just kind of see it. And sure, we're making more of it just as a, a course of, I guess, the nature of technology and societal growth. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm too interested in on not some, uh, the application of it, obviously, but then the perception side of it, right? How is data being used, in essence, to... I guess, influence decisions, and it should be, but there's a lot of ways that that can be being done in nefarious uh, ways as we're kind of in this maybe dawn of, you know, the big data, as they call it. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from this uh, economist from long ago, he said, torture the data and it will confess to anything. <laughs> and I think we're, it's a dangerous kind of area we are in now with the availability to process this data to put it into fancy visualizations and then really drive the emotions of people that are looking at that data that maybe they'll make bad decisions. So, mm -hmm. Wow. Very insightful. So for our listeners, and I guess for you guys, um, I found, uh, what'd you call it, the definition of data? So the term data describes discrete facts. Data can be structured to create information organized to produce knowledge and applied to give wisdom, for example, allowing decisions to be made. So pretty much exactly what you guys just went over, just, you know, my boiled down definition of data, which I kind of, you, you think about the term data, but you don't really maybe think about what it truly is um, in the big scheme of things on a day-to-day -day basis, at least. I mean, I know on our podcast today, we're, we're really thinking about it, but yeah, it's really interesting. I and love I, that definition. I really do. Yeah. It, it's it, but like you said, it's almost it. You can probably use data to, you know, create misleading information, right? Or but by the definition, you probably can, right? data yeah. can be structured to create information and Conversely, data can be parsed and structured to create misinformation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think today today's conversation is going to be very interesting. So, and then, you know, coming into the podcast, we did our homework on data a little bit just to, to get up to speed with everything we wanted to talk about. And I found a really interesting website that provided, you know, the history of data. And what I found was extremely interesting was 18... 1000 BC is the earliest examples of humans storing and analyzing data. And they used what were called tele sticks, which 
I guess looks like to be it was bones, you know, notched or scribed to uh, identify, you know, trading activity or supplies available. And um, I, I just I thought that was extremely interesting that, you know, that long ago, early in whatever human development that, you know, data was being used. <laughs> and we had accountants. Oh, wasn't that the second profession? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're notching uh, into sticks or bones to keep track of trading activity or supplies. Here we go. The accountants are already engaged. <laughs> and keeping track of the concubines as well. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, that, that website, Clayton, you found, that was from the World Economic Forum, and it really was uh, quite interesting when I saw that first entry on tally sticks. I remember yep. in grade school kind of learning like about that, you know, marking notches on things. And like you said, trade, I think it was a predominant use of that. Yep. But then, you know, then you look at this timeline, the next thing is the abacus. Remember learning about that? Oh, sure. sure you do. Right? Fascinating. You right. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you, Mark? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> next, and then came the slide rule. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> know how to use that too <laughs> no but it is a very interesting uh chronological very brief detail but obviously takes us up to the the modern era but i don't know just i think sometimes we especially with the the coin phrase you know big data internet of things people are kind of thinking like data is something necessarily new and there's some people that think that oh big data is really nothing new except just you know, larger data sets, and it's more the the computing horsepower, which really enables you to do things with the data. Yeah, and you know that's what I was just thinking about as we were talking about this. Like when I think of data, I think of computers, right? It's just weird to think of you know data. It, it's not it's not computers. It's data. I don't know. You can use data. You know, bones. You know, notches and bones is data, depending on what, you know, whatever you're doing. It's just weird to think, you know, I'm from the um, the computer age, the internet age, and it's just crazy to think how much data has been utilized, stored, um, compiled without the use of computers in, you know, a multitude of different ways. But, but go back and think about that even on the other side. Think of how much data has been lost because there was no permanent or mass storage you know how, uh, there's there's a perpetual search for um old data and then there are competing uh, hy hypotheticals you know there's archaeologists that spend their lives looking for data that has been lost and attempting to recover it we, we'll probably never have that again until uh you know until who knows when mm -hmm. but uh data that we have now it's almost impossible to lose data well that's interesting i mean very contrarian view to to think about all the data that's been lost in well, comparison it, to what's been made and it's still going on now right wouldn't it be yeah. great to have the original design drawings to the south american pyramids and the egyptian pyramids and how it was built and load calcs and i mean all of that somewhere it had to be written down. It would be very unlikely that it was manual instruction that, okay, one guy or five guys directed the construction of those things because it took many generations. Sure. So 
that'd be a, in my mind, that'd be really cool to see. And even things that are, were built in the uh, 1800s. I mean, if, if you ever saw the uh, original construction or design drawings for a steam locomotive, I mean, a massive set of drawings all the way down to each part, but you know, it was never, they were never, you know, how do you want to say saved in a, uh, electronic format until, you know, maybe 10 years ago. I so, thought you were going to start by saying, imagine if you had a complete set of original design drawings for that college campus you're working on right now, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine that. What a miracle that would be. Well, yeah, you're going back centuries and I'm thinking, back to just and, and i guess that's when i think about so much data now right i think a lot of people are having a hard time uh figuring out well just how little of that data do they actually need right without getting into statistics and everything but i remember being a young engineer going to a client site to do an audit or whatever you know no general problem going on but you know one of the first things you want to do is look at as-built drawings or whatnot and they would say these are our as-built drawings they do not leave this room Right. So you can't right. take them across town and get them copied. So as a young man, I'm trying to figure out, well, what do I need? Right. This is my one chance to get this information. You know, do I need all these equipment schedules? Do I really need to know the, the duct sizing going up to the, you know, the plenum here? But and then, you know, with cameras came along and then I found myself getting in more into I'm going to take a picture of everything here, right? Right. Stand up on desk. You had the drawings yep. down on the floor. I thought it was brilliant because then I could zoom in when I got back to a computer. But yep. I think that is also one of the problems that we now face with data is that, you know, it's like, well, we have so much of it. We have to use all of it. And that's not the case, you know? And, and I think that's when we get into, and we'll talk about this, uh, you know, data literacy, you know, which I think is just the key to a, uh, a young generation of people growing up to than anything. Uh, but we'll get into that. So um, I guess just a, maybe it's a dumb question, but like, you know, you're talking about as built drawings and whatever design drawings is, is that data or is that like an application of data tech? I guess it's depending on who, who is using it and what for it. I guess it's data. No, I it's data. Really, I I figured it was more information. I guess I never yeah really information. Now, well, I don't know. Information I'm, being turned into data. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I not to not to um still important, obviously. Um, well, you you brought up something a second ago, Clayton. Too, we talked about just data and, and numbers and everything. And what's been kind of interesting to me now, learning. I mean, text is data now. You know, obviously. Yeah, you know, it's not just you don't have to convert a text string into a numerical, you know, equivalent necessarily, mm -hmm. but just looking through what what people are tweeting about is an industry, you know, mm -hmm. and, and and parsing all that. So that that's clearly data too. So, is the data ever wrong, or what is wrong data when you think about that? In my mind, data is absolute. If if it's true, I mean, as long as it's not corrupted in some way, data <laughs> is data. I guess but you need all the, the data to know the data is true, though. <laughs> well, that's correct. But, you know, to Nick's earlier statement, you can torture the data, parse the data, filter the data, 
um, make incorrect assumptions during the correlation analysis or you know whatever it is and come out with a untrue um, untrue either hypothesis or conclusion based on how long and how hard you torture the data. So Nick gave us um, another really interesting quote that I'm going to say, and um, I think it, it fits into what we're talking about right now. It says, we said that the laws of nature are approximate, that we first find the wrong ones, and then we find the right ones. Now, how can an experiment be wrong? First, in a trivial way, if something is wrong with the apparatus that you did not notice, but these things are easily fixed and checked back and forth. So without snatching at such minor things, how can the results of an experiment be wrong only by being inaccurate? And I think that's true. Like when I was thinking about data and I asked the original question, oh, is data ever wrong? Mm, say you're looking at, and I'm going to go to a facility, you know, looking at data and it's chilled water temperatures, right? Um, you know, and it's every five minutes and you have your chilled water temperature. Well, yeah, that data is probably accurate, but is it accurate for what you're doing? Was it, is the thermocouple, you know, reading properly, where is it? You know, that's my first question is where did this data come from, from almost anything when you look at data in facilities, right? Where did it come from? Who took this? I mean, yeah, it could be true. You know, your chill water temperature is this at whatever spot, but that doesn't mean it's true for everywhere. Or I don't know. I feel like a lot of times, well, you always have to know where the data came from. Oh, so much, so, no, you're right. I mean, and so much in, in your statements there. And that, yeah, the original quote there was from uh, Richard Feynman, right? Who's been called, he was like this physics professor. What a right. really one. You know, he's often called the great explainer. Because mm-hmm. he could kind of take these concepts and boil them down so, you know, just regular people can understand them. Now, this quote I, I did think was kind of confusing, but an interesting part of it was, that part about the apparatus being wrong. Yeah. Right? And that would go to your chilled water temperature. You know, it's 75 degrees out and your chilled water temperature saying it's 60 degrees or something. Okay. You know, there might be something wrong with the apparatus. The data is that that's what that number or that yeah. sensor is telling you, but it's wrong. It's, it's not calibrated or it's faulty <laughs> or something. So yeah. I think that's what he's referring to there. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's a really important point to to note, though, because I could imagine a lot of times a lot of people, you know, people in our profession, any profession can look at data and assume it's correct and, um, you know, whatever you wanted to find correct as, but it could be inaccurate for what you need it for. And, you know, once you start going down a road with inaccurate data, obviously the results are not um, going to be ideal. So, you know what I thought about when, you know, we first, Nick first read that uh, quote, uh, how long um, human beings thought the earth was flat. Right. I mean, they basically contorted the um, star, the movement of this, you know, the planetoid uh, objects to they, they contorted those and, you know, disregarded anything that didn't support that theory all the way up until, you know, fourth century uh, BC. And, you know, at that point, Plato was the first one that started to write about a, a spherical earth. So, and, and that went on all the way, you know, until the 12, 13 and 1400s, where 
it, you know, explorers thought if they sailed too far, they'd sail off the end of the earth. So, so that was that was a case of dismissing. You, you mentioned dismissing right. data that did not fit. That's right. Uh, the present bias, if you will. Yep. Oh, very very tricky. Uh, we do that. Well. I think we do that every day in our lives, to some extent, for so, whatever. Agree. D- dismissing data that doesn't fit in your, you know. What'd you call it, Nick? <laughs> uh, what do they call it? The bias? Uh, yeah. Something? Yeah. Yep. I wake up every morning thinking I'm 20 years old until I look in the mirror. It's one of those things like There's I have your... a lot to do today. I have you know, a ton of energy and then I'm like, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> well, that's great, Mark, that it's not from like the groans and creaks that you feel like getting out of bed. You actually make it to the mirror. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Sometimes I'd make my first movement. I'm like, ah. Shouldn't have gone snowboarding last week. <laughs> so I'm um, bringing it to like, you know, since we're the building hot rodders to today's facilities, like what, this is a super probably open question, open-ended question, but like what, what data, what data do we use in buildings? Temperature, oh. pressures, um, outputs, you know, production, it can be used for anything, right? Um, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, building management systems and, you know, what we forte in, you know, average temperatures. Um, I don't know. I, I, to me, it comes to a well, lot of... Like, it, so le, le, in buildings that we work in, a lot of them are industrial right. and even large-scale commercial. So what we're seeing and have seen for a while is the engagement of data from what might be a building automation system or a data historian with the manufacturing information system that tells yep. you, you know, how many SKUs do you have? What's the, uh, you know, for manufacturing consistency, what's the temperature and relative humidity and uh, mm-hmm. Uh, space temp, uh, space static pressure during that period of manufacture, and then also integrating the labor SKUs and productivity of, of the yep. workforce based on internal uh, comfort conditions or you know environment and all those things, which is all great. I mean, those that's what the data should be used yes. for. Yes, um, you're saying it shouldn't be used to track you when you go to the store and like look at what kind of ads you click on. <laughs> Social media and all that oh, stuff. You have to drag me back into that. Target your <laughs> yeah, attempted to, you know. No, I agree though. That that is the that is a just a it, fabulous in in our eyes application of data. And uh, marketing people will probably say, "Well, I don't care about that data. I care about where people are going and what they're clicking on." So, um, I guess it's in the eye of the beholder, if you wanted to call it that. <laughs> to I somebody. guess, right? I guess so. Well, the data goes back in buildings and facilities that we work into, you know, to, before it's built and even, you know, during construction, obviously, mm-hmm. too. But most of the times with uh, the work that us here do, yeah, it's on an ongoing, you know, basis. You we, know, use, information. Yep. we use data determine, to determine, you know, um, heating and cooling loads. And if we do, you know, change anything on the facility, we use data to determine, you know, what the utility impacts of that will be or could be cost impacts, um, you know, historical weather data to determine a lot of different things with what we do. So, yeah, data is extremely valuable. And um, I, don't know, I just wanted to bring, loop it back into, you know, the building hot rodders conversation, I guess, to some extent. I don't know we're going to go back off in the weeds because we have to. And it's just a, it's a broad, it's fun. Co- it is, it is. 
But um, yeah, yeah. Just in want- the work, in the work I mainly do, I mean, the data is used for pretty much three things. It's one to determine, you know, the baseline conditions. What 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 are the systems? What yep. is the building doing now? Mm-hmm. The second part is to model, you know, what could be done. You know, if we make changes here, what are going to be the impacts and the results yep. over here? And then the final part, which I happen to think is the most important part is using data to say, did things work like we thought they would work? And and if so, did they work to the degree we thought? Mm-hmm. Not just, okay, yeah, the VFDs are modulating, but right. are they modulating enough? You yep. know, not what we thought. So you use data to predict what's going to happen, and then you use data to verify that your prediction was correct. Well put, absolutely. Yeah. In our industry, in your industry specifically too. Yeah. So data is extremely valuable. Um, with that being said, moving forward, what is data governance, Nick? Oh, yeah. Well, this is like a, a, a subset of what, you know, I guess people would broadly consider data management. Okay. You know, so data is the lifeblood of so many things, right? It's the output of some initial process or uh-huh. fact-finding mission, and it gets input to the next one, which then there's another output, and it kind of all, the process repeats there. Uh, there's this group, the Data Management Association, and they they think of data governance as a hub, right? That's part of a wheel. The wheel is data management. It has all these spokes that have different, you know, type of, I guess disciplines within it, but the data government the governance part is you know a collection of practices, each suited to whatever industry you're in or company specific, that basically encompass the collection of data, the validation of that data, uh, how you store it and organize it, how you protect it, and even maintain that data. So, you know, a lot of the work you know I do. I think the predominant issue I've seen with data over 10 years is uh, the single version of the truth, right? And that's what a lot of these new technologies with the cloud-based applications and, right, everybody can be working off a shared data set, uh, a lot easier to maintain, you know, this is, and we used to have a joke, you know, we'd be looking at different files and, you know, these might be cash flows like the pro forma that have the financial analysis of this project. Right. And one piece may add up with the contract that we see, mm-hmm. you know, but then it's like, oh, what the service costs, they're not the same. Okay. Do you have this file? My file says this. My file says this. You know, with a real file, please stand up. <laughs> and you spend so much time. And yeah. It seems so ridiculous. And we'd often say like, you know. I'm sure every, everybody else deals with this. We know this, but it's like one of those things, like if your customers really knew maybe how much trouble you're having finding this very important source document, you know, they may have asked different questions. And a lot of that's being changed, but I mean, that's a big part of it for me is that that chain of custody aspect. You know, Clayton, you said, first question, where did this data come from? Great right. question, right? Because until you know, and you know it's valid and it's Big data is shutting us down, man. Oh, geez. Okay. So we've <laughs> either been respondents, uh, helped ESCOs respond or been uh, working on the owner side when RFPs or RFQs were uh, authored and distributed that published a 
baseline of energy, uh, maintenance costs, uh, outside services, et cetera, for maintenance work that basically set the baseline. And then, you know, two years later, they have come back and said, well, we haven't reduced our energy costs. And basically those, that's not relevant any longer because they published a data set that said, here's what our utility costs are. And that became the baseline from which every uh, ESCO was working. Interesting. I, two, I don't, two, two thoughts there, because I first liked this idea, and I've seen this before where they, they will tell you, yeah, here's our baseline information, develop your opportunities and your financials off of this. And I always kind of right. like that because one, it cuts down the time frame a lot, right? Having everybody go through a couple different companies, go through and come up with their version of what the baseline is. So I always did like that from the start, but then you pointed out the problem with that, if that continues and nobody looks at the baseline again. So, yeah. And so that, that becomes a real issue, but I've seen it where they put out the baseline, but then the awarded company can go in there and obviously develop their own baseline, which seems reasonable to me. Yeah. Because what happens when that school has their outside air dampers blocked and, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but obviously to do it right, you're going to, you know, have you increased energy. Consumption. Right. Yeah. Adjusted baseline. Exactly. So. No, but exactly. Just but the, from the point of starting off and using a common set of data, I think that speaks to the whole data governance governance piece. Whether their baseline is, like to yeah, I see what correct, you're saying. But yes, yes, yes. Everybody's everybody's starting off the same piece of that's data. That's kind of the yes. idea, which is really yes. what kind of the, is trying to be promoted for organizations in having this, you know, data governance as part of a larger data management system. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't mm -hmm. have people having five different versions of a file that's supposed to represent, you know, a single entity or a contract yeah. or a project. I have to imagine like, um, you know, error compounding is also real with, obviously it is with data too though, right? Kind of going back to data governance, like if you have a set of data and then it's it's used for whatever it's used for, and then you you go off of that and then off of that and, you know, it keeps stacking up. And if there's, error in it you know you you could be way off from what your raw data should be telling you because you've not used the same piece of data for whatever you're trying to calculate generate you know use model oh a hundred percent i mean that's why yeah you got to check it at every step along the way and make sure it's it's good data and the neat thing about like with, with the tools, you know, that I use for looking at data and everything it builds upon Excel and Power BI and all that stuff. But there is mm -hmm. that ability to directly tap into a raw data source, right? Whether it's a file that's yes. been extracted. And so it completely eliminates, you know, the problems of looking at, you know, an analysis, you know, a year or two down the road or whatever and saying, well, I question where that data comes from. Can I see the raw data? Yep. there's no direct path back to it and i've you know to this day i have companies i've worked with years ago that will contact me looking for a file they see referenced in some file someplace they can't find oh. it right and their oh. whole corporate network their whole structure and they're coming to me and just last week i had a request for a seven-year-old file and i had it because i save everything but right. that just goes to the point of 
you got to be able to trace this stuff back because it's yeah. used as the input to the next step. Ultimately, yep. it's used to build projects in our case. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that raw data is critical. Raw so data. just an anecdotal story. One of the very first performance contracts I was involved in, so this goes back, Clayton, to before you were born, uh, was on a, a campus setting where a building was buying uh, utilities from a central steam and chilled water plant. So lots and lots of steam, lots and lots of chilled water. And there was a heated debate uh, with the um, host and the client regarding the uh, volume of both uh, energy sources that they were buying. And um, the ESCO came in and said, well, let's just put this all to bed. We'll put in a chilled water plant and a steam plant and you'll be good to go. And that it turned into a very contentious um, situation. And finally, a you know, a sea level meeting with all the parties and me, I'm young, naive, I think I was probably 26 or 27. I just said, well, what about the source of these chilled water and steam flows? Where are we getting those? From our meters. This is from the host, so the billing entity, from our meters. I said, well, okay, this is custody transfer. So what are these calibrated against to maintain our you know, plus or minus uh, 5% accuracy? What do you think their response was? We have three meters in each line and they all match. So they're calibrated against each other. Never once have they been sent one out to be independently calibrated for mass flow. And um, at that point, the the deal went forward and uh, they took everything off the central Which are plant. wrong, I assume. Great data fallacy story there. Great, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, comparing to another unknown <clears throat> verifiable source to demonstrate the second source is right. Right. But they had three. Yeah. So that, they had yeah. three, so it was yeah. absolutely correct. Wow. Two, yeah, it was, it was double verified. That's why I like NIST traceable everything. Yeah, um, it, yeah it, it just takes out so much air right off the bat, you know, in commissioning, and building yep. startup, just give me NIST, NIST instruments for an extra, you know, seven bucks, nine bucks per. I know I can cut my commissioning time down by 50%, yeah. five. Yep. And yep. don't talk to me about putting offsets in the BMS to correct. <laughs> oh, hoo, <laughs> hoo. That'll just send me into order. Yeah. Well, then you, you just never know what is true. I mean, right. like, how can you look at some, you know, whatever, a BMS and with an offset, temperature sensor you know in the programming think at any point this is actually reality yeah i i i mean yeah that's stuff that that'll give you nightmares well and it, and it certainly doesn't help you know reality heck if you put oversized tires on your vehicle and you're driving down the road and your speedometer yeah, there you the go limit the cops yeah. not going to let you off because you got oversized tires on your car and you're really going 72 yeah. and your speedometer yeah. reads 65 Yep. Yep. Your data is wrong. The speedometer is oh, now cool. wrong. That's not what reality is. Wow. That's a great analogy. It always comes back to automotive for us. Well, it's it's easy to rotters, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. So, um, you know, Nick, you brought up the question in our outline, should 
data literacy be taught in schools, you know, and reinforced through ongoing training? I phrased it as a question. My mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Why? That should have been data literacy should be taught in schools. (laughs) But is it not? I mean, like, isn't it just by like nature of uh, any kind of education? Isn't like to any extent, isn't that data literacy? I mean, like, don't you just have some sort of like uh, intuitive mm. nature Wait, to data an, literacy? Interesting question. I already have an answer to it. So, Nick, go yeah. ahead. You got, I think you guys are going to, I don't know. It seems like, like, as human beings, you already have some kind of intuition towards data literacy. Like, well, I'm going to say the first part, and then Mark's going to fill in the second part. Okay. My okay. first part is no. Oh, wow. Okay. Mark agrees. I mean, I, wait a second. Now, hold on. So in, uh, I'm older than you guys and commissioned a lot of buildings, started up a lot of buildings. I trust nothing unless I see it, touch it, you know, observe it firsthand. I assume the data is always wrong. Until- That's why he thinks the earth is flat. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so well, is that, but, but is that technically on, data literacy? I mean, I think that has to be a huge component of data literacy. If you believe everything that the data that is presented to you, the, the hypotheticals that it supports, shame on you. If you, if you can't, you know, go back to the source of the data and say, Hey, I know this is true. Therefore I trust the, conclusion or I'll at least listen to the conclusion shame on you because there's just too many you know hypotheticals being floated out there that are patently false I would add that if you're not data literate you're more prone to believe whatever is shown to you and somebody says that you perceive as being more expert than you that this is what the data shows or this is what it tells us and okay. if you don't know any better you're like yeah. Okay. It's in a pie chart. You got me. Yeah. It looks pretty. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you guys that. I wasn't necessarily, I guess, thinking like that for data literacy. I don't know that, but you're, you're, I think, I mean, I agree completely. You have to have the intuition to question where did this data come from and is it, is it reality? Um, and, you know, if you look at a graph and, you know, you know, you're comparing two things and one bar is way higher than the other. Well, what's the scale of that? First of all, you know, a a lot of people do look at data and, you know, you can look at anything and see, oh, wow, there's a big, you know, running along flat and there's a big spike. But if that spike is, you know, a third of a percent, you just zoomed in so much that it looks huge, then yeah. Um, I, I guess I understand that. I was thinking more like data, I don't know, data literacy. Are you talking Just to be able to like, integration of multiple multiple data sets or that kind of no i I mean that's like way way higher higher education than i was thinking just like you know understanding facts and patterns and you know the stove is hot and i touched it and it hurt so now i won't touch it again i mean i'm using data to come to a conclusion kind of like that's what i meant in like intuitive to human nature in a way which is extremely boiled down so I was kind of on the different page than you guys. <laughs> yeah, I would think that's a different subset of whatever human growth. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's development. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. stimulus, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if you took a look, I mean, pull up some articles that you read on a whatever weekly basis and find an infographic or a chart or, or, or heaven forbid, watch the nightly news at six Yeah, o'clock. I was going to go to that. Yes. Yep. And you'll be shocked. I mean, and if you really just look at some of the, the charts and the figures they put up, you know, a lot of them are biased in some way to promote whatever narrative is, is, is a part of that story. And you've touched on some of these things like, you know, column graphs where the y-axis does not start at zero, you know, yeah. and show a really, yeah. and you all laugh and you, cause you've seen it before, right? right. Yeah. But, and just the use of infographics can be so misleading in some cases. And I, I guess that's maybe what I'm thinking when I think of data literacy and how yeah, no, that makes sense. constantly fooled by data because they're illiterate about it. Yep. And the same goes for me. There's obviously a lot of data out there that I have no idea if it's honest or true or whatnot, but I can at least, I don't know, there's defenses, I guess. And that's when I think about data literacy, I think about protecting yourself or mm-hmm. others or whatever, your interests. Yeah. It's, it's uh, many years ago, I was at a, you know, so at that point I'm a, you know, profit center leader and there we're at a peer review and we all have to present our annual, you know, uh, year end results, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we, we did all that and we had one of our peers stand up and, uh, you know, he had 160% sales growth, um, 135% profitability growth, uh, number of yeah. new projects, blah, blah, blah. And it was a, outstanding presentation the best of the best in terms of presentation so i finally just raised my hand and said how much did you make uh we lost seven hundred thousand dollars yeah <laughs> i'm like what the hell yeah <laughs> well, said, the okay. underlying metrics are strong but the yeah. year before he'd lost a million and a half so <laughs> oh, so he went yeah, his percent yeah, went up i get percentage it percentage went way up i mean he was crushing yep. the growth and the you know, uh, no that's that's a great point because even you know say i look at um our linkedin page stats right well we went up 700 percent this month and this isn't a true situation yeah but what that meant we went from one view to seven you know what i mean so yeah the data i i see where the data you know intuition in that regard is critical because okay great i can be cheering and dancing 700 percent, you know increase in views but again if that goes from one to seven or one to eight you know it means nothing in the grand scheme of things so i see where data intuition like that is important um geez that's almost like saying you just can't trust anybody or anything you gotta (laughs) <laughs> well, well you're, it's funny. You're looking at your own stats there, your yeah. company stats, but imagine somebody's using numbers to try to convince you to do something. And you're right. I mean, I think it's a huge hole in, we talk about language literacy, yeah. right? So it's not easy yeah. to, or not hard to say, okay, what does data li- literacy mean or data illiteracy? Mm-hmm. Yep. But it is those things that you're, you know, being manipulated with numbers yeah. and, yeah. and and it's, whether it's your your personal life or, you know, more specifically what we're talking about professionally. Yes. Oh, it, ha- it happens all the time. I mean, it, how many home improvement uh, advertisements do you see? If you insulate your house, it'll cut your utility bills by 30%. If you replace your windows, it'll cut your utility bill by 30%. If you, you know, 
do this. It'll cut you till it while you figure, yeah. okay, I'll be printing money when I do all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's just not reality. So you have to be able to say, okay, how do you calculate this? What's the source of your data? Where, you know, how can you make yeah. those claims? Uh, they're, they're reducing the utility bill of, you know, energy loss through your windows by 30%, not your total yeah. utility bill or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's another great uh, example to say, you can't just take the percentage or whatever they're talking about as a whole and say, Oh, this is definitely true. You got to understand. I, I guess you have to have a mechanism to, um, Oh, what is the word that I am looking for? Discern. Discern. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it takes time though, to understand, you know, I know, I know about heat loss, right. And heat gain and whatever. So I can have, I have a, a way of knowing, Oh, that's, that makes sense. You know, that's reality. Whereas like, you know, maybe you can say your data illiterate, but if you don't know what, you know, 30% of heat energy saving, I don't know. Well, it also, it, it's, it's um, industry specific too, in a way. I don't know. No, I think you're exactly right. And you mentioned earlier, talk, asking the question, why? And, and we really didn't touch on like the five whys that as a, as a, I guess, a theory or a practice. Uh, and the last was the last episode we did root cause failure yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. all that yeah yeah so i mean the five whys right we've all had those young people in our lives that reach a certain age and every question (laughs) is why and right it gets to the (laughs) point where it's annoying but you get past that phase you're like yeah that was the perfect question you know over and over and over yeah Yeah. so the five whys was this thing developed by the founder of toyota right and he developed this technique in the 30s just uh so when somebody says to you your chiller KW per ton plant wise is, you know, really low, you know, in the fall and it's really high in the summer, you know, then if you don't know anything different, go, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's because the data shows this, you know, here we'll drill down into the data. Well, why, why is yep. that? Why is that? And yep. so those questions are always great ones. Just like Mark's <laughs> story about his question was, when was the last time this was calibrated? That's never a bad question to ask. Oh. Yeah. It really isn't. Yep. Why is this? Why is this saying this? Is Why do it you true? know this is true? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Why? The Damn. data. The data is a bully. It really is. Yeah. Well, I I disagree. I, I mean, the data is it's it's the finding the holy grail is finding the true, complete data. I don't complete, look. Yes. I I look at that as once you have that. You know, everything else really can go away. It's almost when you get the whole data set, you know it's right. You know, a blinding light appears, and now we have reality to work with. Otherwise, you're dealing with some, you know, voodoo concocted number that you shouldn't be making decisions based on. Yeah, or some, yeah, it's an assumption at that point, or, you know, you make an assumption. But if you get the data, you know, you know, because physics, that this is true. I have the data and, you know, when you compile it with whatever you're trying to determine, this is true. I have the true raw data and then nobody else can tell you you're wrong because you know, you're right. (laughs) You're right. I retract my statement. Data is not a bully. It is what it is, uh, but it can be used as. Bullies can use it. Exactly. It can be technical. It can be soothing. Yep. Uh, Yep. Again, it's hard to hide from though when it's true. 
it, it, you just can't hide from it. Yeah. Yep. It is. And it's tough when, I mean, I, I think the best way to fool people is uh, put it in a chart. You know, people are kind it of is. impressed by that. And they're like, well, yeah. I couldn't do that. I don't know what that means. But this guy's saying, this girl's saying it's right and true. But, and that's what this, you know, some of the things we deal with are, are kind of a form of weaponized data to uh, mm-hmm. get you to think one way or to make plans or take actions. And I don't know, I think the two best defenses against against that being fooled by data are one, common sense. Yeah. Right? Uh, and two is to be skeptical. Yeah. Always. Skepticism <laughs> is good. Yeah. Yep. There's somebody I listen to who talks about studies, and right? it's one of their pet peeves, and they say, uh, whenever I hear something, this is a study show, you know, he says a study show either confirms common sense or it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That, that That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I completely agree. I think this is a great discussion about data. I was curious when we started where it would kind of settle at, you know, in the, in the realm of data. And we talked about facilities and just data as a whole. And I think this turned out to be a a really fun podcast episode. Oh, we went micro data to macro big brother data. Yeah. We surely did. Yep. Yep. I, my favorite with data is, you know, if you bring it to the nightly news kind of data, right. And wherever you land on whatever spectrum, but you know, when people say studies show, right. Well, what, you know, if it's an opinion based thing, well, how big is the sample size? Right. And who, who is this group of people that we're asking? Because that really can skew data, but nobody, some people don't question it. Right. Oh, well, 65% of people thought this. Well, yeah, but you asked, 10 people and they all come from the same demographic, whatever. And I don't know that, I guess that comes to data literacy as you would say it. Right. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. And then maybe it just comes down to like, you're saying, well, I don't know about that data. So yeah, I, I'm not going to do much with that data or about it. And you just say, yes, yeah. that's, that's okay. That's a great little 30 second yep. clip. Doesn't going to change. It's not going to change my life. Yep. Yeah, like even going to the nightly news, I mean, I would say you can change the channel, the three different channels and get three, absolutely three different stories regarding the same subject, all leading you in a different direction. And even beyond that, I can go to weather.com and get one forecast and go to my local weather station and get a separate forecast for the same location on the same day. So, I mean, it's, as Nick said, if it supports, if common sense uh, leads to the same conclusion. Data is probably right. There's a great maybe for people to get more educated. There was something I got turned on to a couple of years ago. I think it was uh, it's like a Twitter handle. I think it's like at WTFViz. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, the guy does latest tweets. And I think he's South American based because a lot of it's in a different language that I can understand. But uh, yeah, like just visuals, a lot of it from nightly news, infographics. And he just kind of points out like that that doesn't make any sense. You know, he's showing a pie chart with three things and they add up to 145%. <laughs> you know? But this yeah. is supposed to sway people, right? Yep. So yep. people get their information that way. Yep. Uh, yeah, so data can be dangerous, but yep. it can also be liberating. Yes. <laughs> 
Wow. To our listeners, stay skeptical. I guess that's all I can say. Always. Always stay skeptical. Jerry's <laughs> not out about this round earth thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> well, I, I think you know, we've talked about the the use of big data, data analytics and, and those kind of things. I think, you know, at some point we may want to bring someone who's expert in the mechanics of integration of multiple data sets and how the uh, data itself can be parsed, manipulated, uh, and, and used to uh, find root source causes that maybe aren't intuitively obvious. And that might be a subject for another podcast coming down the road. Yeah, I think yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Goes into a lot of what we talked about and definitely can expand on it. I think a lot. So for our listeners, keep an eye out for that one. I think that'll be a great episode. Um, with that being said, guys, how do you feel? Do you, do we want to wrap this episode up? I mean, I know we can keep talking about big data and how it can be used for bad and, you know, um, or good. <laughs> There's just a lot. Mostly good. Mostly good. I think so. Well, yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, I guess the last thing that I would leave with the conversation is cell phones I think have made such an impact because you can source, I guess you'd call it data. You just have like the ability to, you know, retrieve data at an instantaneous level with having, you know, a supercomputer in your pocket. And I really think that changes how people um, use data for good or bad. I look at it from the other perspective. You have the ability to transmit data (laughs) at an unprecedented rate from the supercomputer in your pocket (laughs) but how many times have you gone online you know you're telling somebody something and they don't believe you and you google it and now you have an article that says this is what i'm telling you and there's your data or whatever i don't know i mean it's amazing it's just all right there i agree click of a button i think that changes it should changes everything about data not changes it but just the availability is insane well, in that timeline, uh, Clayton, that we referenced earlier from the World Economic Forum, it talked about yeah. the Library of Alexandria. And you're right. I mean, that was considered and still the largest collection of data in the ancient world. But I never necessarily thought of it like that. But I've referenced, you know, the phone, especially with my, my children's phones. and be like, you have the Library of Alexandria at your fingertips. You Literally. Know, go find yeah. the answer. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and and that helps and that hurts, I think, because with that availability, you probably you could retain less because you don't need to retain it because it's always there. Jeez, even think about cell phone numbers and stuff. You know, I don't remember people's phone numbers now because it's just in my phone. Crazy. I don't know. Absolutely right. (laughs) So it helps and it hurts. It's just different. Cuts both ways. It does. It does. And I think I'll leave the conversation with that. Okay. <laughs> Unless you have anything else you want to oh, add. It was fun. But, it was fun. Yeah, I think Absolutely. so too. I think so too. All right, guys. Well, thank you for uh, being part of the podcast, Nick and Mark. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Keep an eye out. Our next podcast discussion will be education. Kind of, you know, as the building hot routers, we, we're in the facilities world about, you know, licensing and certifications that we think are valuable, you know, what you should get, why you should get it, um, and so on and so forth. So 
kind of switching gears a little bit, but I think it'll be a fun conversation to have for everybody. So tune in with that. I hope so. (laughs) So to our listeners, thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you.